Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Joel Morris. I'm Jason Hazley. As usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. And by taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works, or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we think we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is John Holmes. John is an award-winning comedy writer and performer and broadcaster. He's probably best known in this room for his work on The Now Show, Listen Against, and with Armando Iannucci. He holds the record for the largest fine ever for taste and decency offences in British broadcasting and his hobby is being fired uh, <laughs> John welcome to I'm the show I'm very good at the latter of that I don't mind telling you that, I don't know when does a hobby become a profession what's the what's the cut off I don't know oh, yeah. where one spills into the other it's like in you know, line. so you don't get paid for being fired quite the opposite yeah. <laughs> as I've discovered yeah. Yeah. it's true it's like it's a job but then it reverts back to being a hobby the moment you leave the building <laughs> that's how it kind of goes and because of that, you've got plenty of time to come on podcast. <laughs> That's right. Exactly How big right. was your fine? Uh, well, ah, well, it was um, it was one hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Did you uh, have to pay? Uh, no, the the uh, the good lord saw fit to make the company pay that, wow. and they had to then cut a deal with Ofcom to go. Now you see, it, we didn't know he was doing this. We barely, we didn't, we didn't even know he was coming in and doing a show at the weekend. <laughs> we had no idea. Yeah, no, it's always called in and just said, right, we've, there's one hundred fifty thousand pounds, but we're going to let you go because we've cut a deal with Ofcom. If, if we let you go, they'll halve the fine. <laughs> It was £75,000 as I was uh, sort of sold for that money down a river. I'm I'm going to assume that taste and decency rules simply don't apply to the wild west of podcasting. Not at all. So would you like to repeat what you did on the radio? Well, it was a a game of swearing radio hangman for the under 12s. That's what what nailed it to the... uh, Something which had been running for six months. We were talking about Mel and Sue just off air there. Mm. And they used to listen, because they've told me this since, on their way back from gigs... Uh, late at night listening to that show which became, became kind of cult hit amongst comedians on their way home from yeah. gigs because it was oh, like cool. midnight till two or something yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway Swearing Radio Hangman yeah so basically if you've got a kid under 12 uh, you phoned up got the kid out of bed and then the kid <laughs> then played Hangman <laughs> with swear words in order to win a CD that was the gist of it uh, and it all went wrong Katie her name was uh, nine years old and she I'm not, I'm not saying I'm proud of this 
now. <laughs> but she ended up with uh, five letters, three letters, four letters. And of course, the, the joy of it, the beauty of it, was that playing along at home as a listener, as an adult, you know exactly what's coming way before the kid does. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of your leaps ahead. And also their parents are helping, going, well, there's a, that's a P, there's a P there. <laughs> so you can hear them down the phone. Is there, is there a sir? Yeah, it's the first letter of the first word. Is there a ter? Yeah, it's the first letter and last letter of the middle word, three letters. Anyway, she eventually spelled out soapy tit wank. Right, which is, which I now know you can't really do. <laughs> I mean, that on the radio, uh, and 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 you so, live and learn, don't, don't you? you though? And then an old lady rang up. I remember she complained, one complaint, and got Ofcom involved. And one complaint, one complaint, yeah. And then it all went really, what? really wrong. That's what 150 grand gets you. That's. I mean, what's interesting about that is that that then leads me to not understand at all what would appeal to you about the item you've brought on to talk about today. Yeah. What, what have you brought with you? I have brought... Uh, th- now, this was something I grew up with. So, and when we sort of talked about this before this, in the vague brief you sent me, was something that had to be influential. That's something that influenced you in the terms of your what you eventually went on yeah. to do. Even though in 1980, when this came out, I was too young to even con- be considering what the hell I might do. But I just knew that I liked this album. Um, it was in the golden era, of course, of comedy albums. Yeah. Okay, mm. so my dad had the goodies albums and got me into that. And he had Peter Sellers and all this kind of stuff. So as a tiny child, I was familiar with this world of oh, vinyl that's funny, yeah. as opposed to the music stuff. Mm. And then... Along came, you know, various... Uh, was it 1973 was probably Monty Python's matching tie and handkerchief, yes. I think, wasn't it? Yeah. I didn't have it then, obviously. <laughs> but uh, I was growing up, so I, when I... 1980, I would have been about nine or ten. And I had already started. My interest in, in albums and comedy stuff had begun. And so I don't think I got this when it came out or anything. It wasn't like I went down there on release date. Although I now know, because I looked it up, it got to number 13 in the album charts. Yeah. It? Which is remarkable, isn't it? We're wow. talking about Monty Python's contractual obligation I probably album. should have said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was their first studio album since the 73 one. And what I liked about it is that it what the, the the title wasn't a joke. It was genuinely yeah, yeah. to fulfil a contract with Charisma, I think it was. Yeah, yeah they're on a rock label. Yeah. They've got one more to do. And they've just done Life of Brian... So yes, broken in America. America loves them, and America loved them for their albums as much as anything. So someone said they're riding high. They've got loads of publicity about Life of Brian. We will squeeze the troop for one more yeah. record because they were contractually obligated to do one more record. And I, what I loved about it is was the very early on the subversive nature of that it's a kind of okay here we are we spoke we've got to do this so we're going to tell you exactly what's going on behind the scenes it, mm. not in the title of it and also in the fact that there's no cover of which yeah. to speak and it was just a, a parody of charisma's bog standard sort of album cover you know the paper sleeve and everything with will this do written on it or something like that <laughs> it's like wow but i didn't have that because it was art it was the first like terry gilliam wasn't involved in this one at yeah, all either it, it wasn't it on the album it says on the front of it could we get Terry to do something nice to the front and someone else has written it's not worth, not worth it. it. So it's, it's got this, it looks like a bootleg. Yeah. Is what's interesting about it. And, yeah. And it, so it looks like someone smuggled it out that you're not meant to have it. Yeah, and, and I had the cassette. So I didn't, this was like, you know, boom time for cassettes here. So I would have bought it, actually I was thinking about the timeline. So I didn't certainly didn't get it when it came out, but I would have bought it after, not the 9 o'clock news albums. Yeah. So I, that, that right. was my first purchase, I think, as a kid other than the stuff my dad already had. I went out and bought the cassettes of Not The Nine Cut News, Hedgehog Sandwich, you know, and so forth. Um, So in my then discovery of the world of funny albums, 
the pythons were of course on the on the list and this one caught my eye because of the crap cover and i thought what, what is this what's the joke here and and thus it became apparent and what i also like about listening to it which i know we're going to get onto, but is the fact that it's also full of jokes about things that were cut or contractual this and announcement that and all this sort of parody uh, that, that turned out to be true uh, and i just kind of liked it it feels i feels naughty in itself it looks like it wasn't meant to exist mm. that it's it's snuck out yeah and it's got and the thing that struck me when I looked at the cover again for the first time is this is between 73 when they've done Matching Tie and Handkerchief and all those great sort of grand almost prog rock folly records with three concentric grooves and all those mad things this looks like it's a bit punky and it's sort of it's just it looks like a bootleg it's not been prepared it's not got all that beautiful airbrush art on the front um, and it's between 73 and now there's been Derek and Clive yeah, and a sort of a, a, an upswing in people circulating records that are naughty, that are dirty, that are sort of a bit they wouldn't be on the TV, and they're they're circulating amongst sort of stoners out in America and rock bands and things, and this feels like an attempt to go, oh, we missed that. This is our punk record. This is our Derek and Clyde. This is, and it's full of absolutely unbroadcastable filth. Totally. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, that's again. That's I think looking back at it now is what got me in because there's a track called "I Bet You They Won't Play This Song on the Radio." Right? <laughs> yeah. And at the time, you know, of, of that age, obviously, I didn't really know about being on the radio, and so, but that made me go. Well, I'd play that on the radio if I if I had the wherewithal, and not long after I did because I went on hospital radio and played that as more really? or less the first track. <laughs> because at the end of the day, weirdly, that song is entirely playable on the radio because all yes. the rude stuff is bleeped out with funny noises, yes. and so that's the funny joke because it is. Yet it shouldn't be, and it's that's... although you might know this that the BBC regards a beep as as offensive as a swear word. Yeah, which so is so when, stupid, which is ridiculous, yeah. isn't it? Because we've tried this on radio before. We tried to smuggle stuff in and said it's. It's fine, just beep it as long yeah. as we can keep the line. And they go, no, we can't keep it. You have to refer beeps up, just like you do with swear words. That's the, if you, Is it because uh, the audience will imagine the swear word that's in there and put in probably a worse swear word so than even you were intended. That's what I've been told. But this is yeah. ridiculous. This is, it was, in fact, it was John Cleese, wasn't it, who on... I'm sorry, I'll read that again. Smuggled in the name Martha Farquhar, and no one spotted it. So it went out, you know. Yeah, yeah. You can do that. You can be as... I mean, obviously... I'm sorry, I haven't a clue. It's full of unbroadcastable filth. Oh, but because they don't beep it, it's completely yeah. broadcastable. Yeah, and it, it's, that's what I don't understand about this beep thing. You go because if if I am projecting my knowledge of swear words onto a beep, I, all, I how can I be offended by something that's in my own head? You can't yeah. be corrupted. You can't, no one's saying it out loud. Still, I don't yeah. understand why the innuendo defence doesn't work for beeps. Because the innuendo defence is well, if you're imagining something smutty, that's not me doing exactly. it. That's you. Yeah. You know. So why isn't that the same? Yeah, it's strange. There's, 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 there's a lot of this. You can feel in this as well. They've been through a lot of legal stuff. The Python. They've just come off the back of all the fuss about Life of Brian, whether yeah. it's whether they can or can't say things. And there's a sense of them going, right, we can say anything now. We're doing songs about offence. There's one called uh, "Never Be Rude to an Arab." Basically, yeah. <laughs> just on the edge of. I don't think it would be on a record now. It, I it, I agree. And having re re listened. Uh, which isn't even a word, but uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, have I love it when you go back and visit something you haven't heard yeah. for a long time, which I did with this, mm. um, and because I haven't got a cassette machine anymore, <laughs> so um, I had to buy it again. But the 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 joy of listening to that, you just go, I had exactly that thought. I'd forgotten how bad "Never Be Rude to an Arab" was in terms of its, you know, sort of xenophobia and and just, well, you know, the N word is just just there. Drops there you go, yeah. bang. Yeah. Like that. And I'm not even saying it on a podcast yeah. for all of the reasons we know. Correct. And but they just go, yeah. And at the time, that wasn't considered. You could just sort of put that on in the lounge with well, your mum and dad in the other it's, room. It's sort of. It, 
I suppose the justification is probably that the song is about offence. Yeah. And, and in order to play with that game, it says I'm accidentally or deliberately being vastly offensive again and again and yeah. again. But you still wouldn't put it on a record now, would you? You absolutely I think wouldn't. This is, this is all about something I remember being told once about. If you're going to be offensive, make sure you've got your exits covered. Yeah. And well, if you're playing with offence, and all the way through this record they play with offence, and they sort of seem to know where the fire escapes are. The strange thing, I think, is that the racial stuff, there's a song called I Like Chinese that is a, full of Chinese stereotypes that are entirely positive and nice. I think they're less worried about playing with racial stereotypes yeah. in 1980 than they are enjoying playing with sort of sexual material and filth. And now when you listen to it, the sexual stuff kind of just is just fun and it's a bit smutty. The race stuff is the stuff that you go, oh, you haven't covered your fire escapes. But they weren't that worried about it. You can hear they were enjoying being at the frisson of it, but it wasn't a time bomb. It wasn't da- as dangerous as it is now. And it's, it's interesting to hear, because this is a record that's attempting to be offensive and play with offence in the way they were going to do with Meaning of Life a few years later. They're in the yeah. middle of writing Meaning of Life when they make this. They're playing with shock comedy and what you can and can't do on the radio on records. And it's interesting to hear that the, the standards have changed since 1980. And now the real dynamite is under the, the, the stereotypes, whereas at the time I think it was under things like talking about gonorrhea and yes, oral sex. Yes, medical love song. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, but what I also thought was interesting when with I Like Chinese as well, mm. um, and uh, I'm so worried. Uh, mm, on, you yes. know, there are th- it's, it resonates now because the stuff they're, they're worried about in 1980, I mean, you know, the world today is absolutely crackers. Yeah. Nuclear bombs to blow us all sky high. And that's the, you go, that could have been written now. And, yeah. You know, it's, that's come back. And the, the I'm so worried, I mean, I'm still worried about the baggage retrieval system. <laughs> that, that's He's never right. gone away from <laughs> He's me. right. Well, the, the, one of the things that interested me about it was that... It, even from the title, Contractual Obligation Album, to the fact it opens up with a song about oral sex, sung to sort of Gracie Fields, big choir, <laughs> yeah. sit on my face and tell me that you love me. And it would be passed around, and the feeling was, this is adult, and these are grown-ups, because they've got lawyers and contracts, and there's a joke about splitting your album collection up in a divorce. <laughs> and there was that thrill of going, oh, I'm eavesdropping on the grown-ups. And now listening to it as a grown-up, I go, they're being childish. Well, as a kid listening to it, it sounded like I was eavesdropping on a world of grown-ups who are worried about mortgages and divorce and nuclear war. And now I listen to it and go, they're just a bunch of grown-ups singing quite babyish songs. And it's really funny that it has both those That's things interesting, in it. isn't it? You might be right. And, and, and actually, thinking about the currency of those albums at the time, and we were trading them around, you know. Yeah. Like, but we are listening to them as kids, and I hadn't really considered that, because, yeah, but yet my dad owned them. So, yeah. you know, and he sort of... But my mum, of course, dismissed them as child, childish nonsense anyway. Yeah. So there was a real sort of but division. But they feel grown-up. I mean, yeah, it's, my, it's my dad used to keep the, the Monty Python books on a high shelf... And I was pointed to them and said, you can't look at those until you're older. You'll get them like the key to the yeah. door when you're 21. So I used to, when he would go out to the pub, I'd, I'd climb up on a chair and bring them down and read them. And they were naughty. They had sort of sexual images in them and jokes about masturbation, all of which I didn't understand. Yeah. But it felt like a little keyhole. You were peeping into an adult world, including not only the sex and the, the frankness about that, but also the stuff about contracts and agents and and payments and, and giving people checks for the business stuff. Which well, there's a great really funny. thing on, on contractual obligation, which is a voiceover sketch. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, I, well, I didn't know anything about the world of voiceover, but you know the way it's the bishop, the bishop yeah. doing, the, um, <clears throat> doing the lager advert. Great but taste of fish. <laughs> bishop, don't say old fish. But it's, 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 what I love about it is that it's, I learned all I needed to know about voiceovers from that sketch, yes. even though I didn't know what a voiceover was. Yeah. You know, the, the, yeah, we're talking to you in the studio, right... That's yeah. off now, you know, and you sort of got the dynamic of how all that worked yes. without knowing a thing about it. So, and at the time, they were working 
especially Cleese was working with them, they were doing a lot of advertising. So they're working, doing adverts. So this is the thing that they're very familiar with. And they're so familiar with it, they're welcoming you in saying, hey, we all know what it's like in a voiceover booth. And you go, I don't. And they go, oh, we'll show you. Yeah. And they say, we won't say to you at the beginning, in an advertising studio. And so they don't introduce it. They just go, you know what this world's like. And yeah. as a kid, you go, well, how flattering. Of course I know what a voiceover booth is. Of course I know what a contractual obligation is. Yeah. Yeah, of course I know what gonorrhea is. And it's, it's <laughs> kind of an invitation to say, do you want to put on big shoes and grow, a grown-up coat and pretend you're a grown-up? I didn't know, actually, even now, listening back, uh, what most of the diseases in the medical love song are. No. But get, now you've this, got them all. But get, now, <laughs> I don't, I don't, yeah, exactly. Now I'm familiar. With more. But get, like I went around collecting all the video nasties when they were banned, I went around collecting all those diseases as a child. Just to sort of like. But get this. So I found this today, right? So um, are we going to talk about Balanichael Shank? Yes, I am. We are for quite a little while. Um, this is incredible. So uh, when I was sort of reading about the album and, and, and stuff, um, the BBC, who else, uh, have done an article called "Sexual Ailments in Monty Python's Medical Love Song." Uh, written by a doctor, breaking it all down line wow. by line and telling you exactly what each wow. one of them is. Yeah, wow, yeah, education because the unique way the BBC is funded. It's basically horrible <laughs> histories. So yeah, it is. So inflammation of the foreskin reminds me of your smile. Uh, an inflamed foreskin is caused by an infection called posthesis, caused by yeast or bacteria, and it breaks it all down into detail. That is so I urge you to go and read this. But you can tell from that again. One of the things that Python are really good at, I think, was because obviously Graham Chapman's a doctor. doctor. So I imagine that's him. He's written this. Yeah, and yeah. all the. the the science in it is, is spot on. When the Pythons talk about philosophy, all the philosophy is spot on. When they talk about history, Michael Palin did history, didn't he? It's, yeah. You're getting them, they're, they're dispensing their knowledge in a way that isn't exclusive. They're, they're, they're not saying, I know this and you don't. They're kind of struggling and going, hey, we all know this. And that is the best form of, sort of undergraduate comedy, totally. is the assumption that we're all doing this course. You know, and again, not on this album, but the Summarised Proust, mm. or Proust, yeah. um, is, I didn't know what that was. Summarised what? Who? What? What do you mean? <laughs> You know, I didn't when I first thought I barely what summarise meant, let alone anything else. But you sort of go, but it didn't matter because now I, but then I go, oh, okay, now I get what it is because they just I go, think okay. it's a very helpful thing because I think that when later on you stumble upon, in a serious context, any of the things they've referred to, you're not frightened of them. Yeah. They give you access to knowledge in a way I used to find incredibly powerful with Python. Is that they would they'd refer to things in a sort of offhand way that you go, we all understand about Henry II or whatever. Oh, I know yeah. who Emmanuel Kant is because. Yeah. Python, they I think it. I learned most of. I'm a terrible, lousy historian, absolutely hopeless at it. And I think everything that I know about history, I've learned from Python. The only reason I've heard of the Treaty of Utrecht is because two <laughs> Welsh coal miners came to blows over it, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> right. You can see it gave confidence then to them writing Blackadder and things, and you realise that lots of people who know their history. When we did horrible histories, right? Because I wrote on the yeah. early series of horrible histories, telly, and that was kind of in our heads at the time. You know, and, and the mantra was, "It's kind of all right." Look, it's okay to just go without explaining it. You just go, this is now all the facts. You know, the Greg Jenner, um, you know, who's amazing. You used to sit there and go, no, that's not factually accurate. I know it's a good he, was joke. The, he was the historian who was a consultant on horrible history. Exactly. Uh, and, he, and he would say, okay, great joke, but you can't, that's not true. So that can't go. You know, and you'd have to work a way around it. But, and that's why now kids will come up and go, go, uh, you know, I know about history because of horrible histories. It's, yeah. it's almost there. It's not adult. It's got adult bits, I suppose, but it's, it is kind of their Python in a way for, yeah. for that sort of, and only because we blatantly stole their idea and just went, <laughs> just went, yeah, just do it. Just do it because it is and it'll yeah. be fine. Can I put in a slight sidebar here that my biggest and possibly only professional regret is that we were asked to write on horrible histories and we were too busy and didn't do ah. it. 
I, yeah. I literally to. wasn't busy. So yeah. it was, it was fine. You, you just been fired. I've been fired again. Yeah. yeah I would, uh, I'd love to have written on that show. It's yes. yes, so, so good. It's such a good program. Now, advertising. It's weird that there are two sketches on this album about three tracks apart, which are both about advertising. There's The Bishop... And there's also the sketch which was uh, for Marty Feldman. Was it's it a Frost like Report that? on Frost Advertising report, called it. String, String. Yeah. about about where, where John Cleese is a an advertising guy who's helping Eric Idle offload 120,000 miles of string in three inch lengths, <laughs> <laughs> which is a terrific. It's, it's the line the line that is brilliant about it. There's a problem. There's 120,000 miles of it in three, and it's the pause. In three inch lengths. It's just that sort of. Oh, and also the phrase to be exact. <laughs> That's, it's just it's just thrown thrown away, but it's so important. There's 120,000 to be exact. Also, oh, it's it's, like, it's, mm. it's a very old sketch. It's uh, what's interesting. I think it was performed by the two Ronnies on the on the Frost Report on advertising originally. Yeah, and I'm, I, it, it stinks of when they've got everyone together to do this album that on paper they don't really want to do, that John Cleese has gone, right, you can have some sketches, but they're going to be really old. <laughs> it's, it's very odd. You can hear that... I mean, this, this whole album is kind of made of bits and pieces, isn't it? But you can hear the difference between that first advertising sketch, which is, uh, oh, come in, Mr So-and-so, sit down, it's one of those, yeah. and the second one, which is all synthesizers and it is the dawn of time and stuff yeah, like that, yeah, yeah. you know? One of, them, one of them is set in the 60s and sounds... It's set in what I call Sketchland, yeah. but the one with the bishop doing the voiceover is... So achingly contemporary, it feels like a not nine o'clock news sketch. The way that that not felt like it was not set in Sketchland. It was set in real hi-fi shops and public toilets and things. You can hear that they've they've seen a bit of of that new wave of comedy. And the new sketches they're writing are looking forward to what they're going to do with Meaning of Life. And they don't feel quite as review sketchy. And there's a, there's a sort of vigour to that there is. that Bishop sketch, which which the other one, even though it's really funny and really well written, is a bit hoary and old. Well, it's like the bookshop as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, you know, which was a previous Marty Feldman sketch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I adored that sketch because a it was about books and so you know and I kn- I'd had heard of books so I yes. knew you know I might not have heard of gonorrhea but I'd heard of Dickens <laughs> and I was like ah. uh, Dickens with two K's uh, yeah. uh, and and what I loved was the playing with that it was playing on words where there isn't any wordplay that was what you're Dickens yeah. the, with two K's you yeah. know it's like yeah. that's not a double meaning that's a thing you've deliberately and I just love the construction of it it's a, it's a sort of it, I think that's left over from uh, last the 1948 show the same place as the four years Yorkshireman came yeah. from uh, and there's a feeling in there it was a character that Marty Feldman always played and the Graham Chapman's playing him on the record who is just someone who is the most annoying person yeah. to deal with in the world which Feldman did brilliantly in, in stuff it's an exercise in writing and you go okay this will be formless there's no shape to this we will just come up with 40 of the most annoying things he can say and then we'll say them in I like to think I don't know this but I, I like to think that the whole whole sketch just came out of someone in a pub going a sale of two titties yeah. <laughs> and then from there they it went blossomed. hang on hang on a minute <laughs> we can do something with it and it just went on from there what we, we, we've talked about the sketches and there, there's, a, there's a couple of bits of, of sketch work in it that feel slightly less uh, old fashioned there's one where a, a church bells and a church comes up oh. the, mm. comes up the path towards which is a proper old fashioned python audio picture where they, they, there's the sound of bells and missiles and it's really rich and, and a beautiful noise when the window closes Yes, yeah. and it just the bell's getting louder. Like, close the window. What? I said, I'll close the window. If only we had some kind of missile, we could take the steam out of those bells. Well, you can always use the number fourteen to St Joseph the somewhat divine on the hill ballistic missile. It's in the attic. What ballistic missile would this be then? Our neighbour, 
made it for you. It's your birthday present. Just what I wanted. How nice of you to remember, my pet. Yeah. What? Those bells are getting louder. What? Those bells are getting louder. It's, 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 it's a terrific beautiful. sketch. It's my favourite sketch on the album, I think. It, it, I think it's a cousin to that bit in The Meaning of Life where Chapman is staring out of the window complaining about the bloody Catholics with filling the yes, world up with yes. bloody kids they can't yeah. afford to bloody feed that thing. I, and I, it strikes me that that might be one of the new bits of material, the Bell sketch. You can hear them moving their sketches on because they, they don't want to do sketches anymore. They're off doing 40 Towers and ripping yarns. And I was reading Palin's diaries and Terry Jones is talking to Douglas Adams about maybe directing a Hitchhiker's film. They've got a million new projects to go. And someone said, will you go back and be those kids from 1969 again? <laughs> and you can hear they're, they're grudging. Cleese, clearly very grudging, is giving them small sketches. But in that, that Bell sketch, you can hear it's Chapman and, and Jones just messing about and going, oh, they still do like each other's company. They still do just like being there's silly. A, there's an, an extra. Now, if you download it now, which I did, uh, there there's some extra stuff that wasn't ever on my cassette, mm. which is an interview with uh, Chapman and Jones yeah. talking about the making of the album. But it's it's very much like uh, Chris Morris, Armando, Stuart Lee sort of interview. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a sort of, well, what the hell were you thinking? <laughs> and they do get called up on the on the you know the Chinese stuff and the, yeah. everything else. And the fact that most of it's unbroadcastable. And they, they, <laughs> what is interesting is about they talk about writing so it's after Brian as you said yeah. so they talk about that a bit but then they talk about they're in the middle of writing I mean like they said we don't know what's going to happen with this we've got some sketches and bits and pieces so yeah absolutely that whole process was going on and it was I think you're right that um fascination with religion anyway but yeah but the idea of them being able to sonically play with stuff and in this new wave of things like this bell noise that gets louder but you don't even notice it getting louder it just creeps up on you it's great <laughs> it's isn't brilliant it? i was picturing listening to it just picturing the guy on the fader just going i've got yeah. to time this right you know with how loud it gets and how when it stops and when it cuts back and um and then there's all the brilliant alliteration jokes in there you know, yeah oh, don't practice your alliteration on me yeah. <laughs> wow a shameless thing i, I always loved about python is that occasionally they let you hear the typewriter Mm. They let yeah. you go, okay, we're doing a cheap joke here, and we're going to say we're doing a cheap joke here, but still the fun is, again, as a listener, especially as a 10-year-old, you're going, oh, I'm allowed to do that. I'm allowed to do a bunch of stuff that just amuses me, as long as at the end of it I say, I'm just, I'm being self-indulgent here. Yeah. Which is sort of quite, again, it's quite subversive. You're not pretending this is real. You're letting people hear the process. And that was quite exciting. It was the back off the clock, again, as a, as a young comedy fan who might think about going into comedy. Python kept showing you how it was done. Yeah, which I found exciting as a kid. That and that album in particular, actually, you're you're right. And it, the fact it even starts with you know uh, the announcement about the nature of comedy <laughs> albums, you know, so you get the sit on my face yeah. as an in, and then you just get, and it was just obviously in the track listing, it's just called announcement. <laughs> so and then it is just just going, all right, this is a hand-tooled comedy album yeah. brought out and split up, and you get divorced and all this kind of stuff. And the other little bits of it, like I had, cause I had the cassette, so because the nature of a cassette is that obviously what they called side one was shorter than side two. On the cassette, there is an announcement going, um, this isn't quite the end of the, the, the cassette. On the album, you could just turn over now, but you can't on the cassette. You've got to wait for it to get to the end. And then you wait four minutes, 52 seconds, and then it goes... <laughs> That was the gap in order to... You know, <laughs> beautiful. God, they loved playing yeah. with the form, didn't they? On the, it's, it's Matching Tie and Handkerchief, isn't it, which has got three sides. Yeah. It's an album with three Concentric sides. Concentric grooves. On, yeah, yeah. And on one side, they cut two... Concentric yeah. grooves, which apparently the mastering guy nearly had a nervous <laughs> breakdown doing. It's a thing someone called, I don't it might have been Eric Idler, called Total Comedy, the idea that you cannot leave a single corner 
of the form or the shape of the thing without a joke on it. Yeah. If there's a joke to be made about how the cassette folds out, apparently on Matching Tire and Handkerchief, Terry Gilliam was trying to work on a way of mechanically putting a spring inside the record <laughs> that when you pull the record out, it would rip the cover. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's that kind of thing. Gilliam said he wanted to do an episode of the, the TV show where the volume got slowly quieter and quieter and quieter. So you kept turning the volume up louder and louder so that the next show would blow the speakers of your television out. And it's like the idea they won't leave anything alone. That's right off on us all hasn't it yeah. I mean we're, we're all like that when we write we're just constantly trying to jam more and more yeah. things in there imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days, you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you. 
It's, I've always liked, and it was probably going back to that, of playing with the form of whatever media you're working in. Yeah. You know, that I've, and I love that, and I've done it on the radio in terms of presented shows uh, yeah. as well as... You know, there's a thing we you know, been doing called the big debate which they've been doing on the place I've just left. Um, it, if you just tuned in, it, and this has happened many times where people have just tuned in and just think, well, that just sounds like the radio does, like a Jeremy Vine style phoning where yeah. two people are having a go about arguing about a thing. And we started spoofing that really early on. So we just get a couple of improv comedians to, to talk about or to argue about unarguable things, rainbows, string, um, you know, uh, the clouds, whatever, you know, um, contrails. But you treat it like it was real. So it's like, OK, well, the government have said this week that a barrel of contrails is now $150. You know, is that too much? Uh, and they go, well, no, you said the government aren't doing enough anyway. And it, but hang on, you're saying, what, 40,000 more contrails by 2019? Like, this whole thing about things that can't be argued. But, it, but it's that thing. It's, it's about... Listening, to, you have to listen between the gaps to go. Yeah. Hang on a minute. Yeah, this yeah. sounds like what it should, but underneath it really isn't what it is. And uh, and and the Pythons were so good at that stuff. Probably if I was going to say, what's the biggest takeaway I got from listening to? And don't forget the albums as well are the way that you would consume this because they, they didn't repeat Flying Circus that much, and it was on very late when I was a kid. So you were studying the records to hear how these people had done it. Yeah. you're listening to the to the Pythons going, okay, this works. How does it work? And one of the way it works is what what we call a bucket. Or a bucket sketch where you've emptied all the content out of something, but the shape is still a bucket. So you can see, you can put anything you like in it. And that came off Python. And what Python teaches you to do, if you're going to do a pastiche or empty all the content out of a debate show and put nonsense in it, is that the debate show bucket has got to be exactly like a debate show. Yeah. It's got to, from a distance, be indistinguishable from the real thing. And that comes from listening to the words people use, getting the phrasing right, the typography right, the sound right, the visuals right. People forget that about Python on TV. You look at it now and it looks a bit cheap and cheesy. But the real news looked like that. Real costume drama looked like when they did a costume drama. It was on studios. They made sure it looked exactly right. And the first thing I got from Python was, you've got to get your words right. You can't get something that sounds approximately like our politician talks. You've got to get exactly how they talk. Yeah. And they're so precise about that. Indeed, and it's something that is very apparent when you watch something that hasn't got it quite right, but he's trying. And you sort of go, if only you just shot it like that, it would look the same as well. When we did Listen Against on Ready For, that was, you know, the reason we got Alice Arnold yeah. to do that, because she was a BBC newsreader and continuity now. Yes. So it, and it had to sound like Radio 4. But also exercising the typing wands of plenty of Radio 4 listeners this week was last Wednesday's food programme, in which Sheila Dillon cooked and ate a flump. Most people think this is a nightmare to fill it, but I'm going to show you a really, really easy way today. Hold it by the head and they put it on the table and cut it. So they're pushing down and the knife cuts along the table so it goes right through both sides. There it is to upset you all again. She was absolutely brilliant at it, wasn't she? Was absolutely, absolutely mind blowing. Brilliant. Yeah, and I knew she would be because I, she, when we were looking, and for those that don't know, it was a Radio Four series, kind of, I guess, a sort of right to reply um, feedback sort of spoof with extra bits. Yeah, but it had to sound, you know, again, like if you tune in, it, it, it had to sound like Radio Four does. But of course, it was full of nonsense that sounded real. And Alice was the key to it because uh, she just said it all in her Radio Four voice. And I didn't want. There was a lot of arguing at the time when we start when we first did the first series about who would present it and of course being the BBC or a big name let's get a big name comedian to present this and you go no it will not work it, because it will sound like jokes and it, yeah. It, it, yeah. that's not what this show is it has to sound like it's real and the, trying to explain that to executives was very difficult you know and only when I got Alice in and went, and went look listen to the, her say it rather than yeah. this person you want yeah. and they went 
Oh, okay. Get the right people in. And the, the joy of, of Python was always at the level of the writing. Make sure if you're doing a sports report, you have listened to lots of grandstand and the rhythms and the sounds of how sports reporters talk will make this funnier because you'll get it right. On the album, uh, there's the being eaten by a crocodile yeah. Uh, yeah. championships, <laughs> which again, it's just, you know, but it, because but it, it's just, it's a ludicrous sentence, you know, and you join us again at the uh, being eaten by a crocodile Olympics or whatever it is. And it, but because the rhythms all sound right, and then the, you know it cuts to an interview like it would, except instead of discussing the hurdles, they're discussing how far you should go down its gullet. Eric Idle was uh, ran the show for this. Usually, Palin and Jones were sort of in charge of the Python records, and this one Eric Idle runs. And Eric Idle loves his songs, and he said this is his favourite Python album because it's mainly songs. What I've really enjoyed is we haven't mentioned the songs, <laughs> and I, I'm glad because it's going to annoy Eric Idle. What uh, we should say actually, but as you pointed out earlier on, is is how well produced the songs are actually yeah. by Andre Jackman. That Henry Kissinger with that lovely saxophone quartet, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's beautiful, it's spot on. And whatever mic they've, they've got him singing through is a really accurate it's the closest they've ever sounded to the Bonzo Dog Doodah band they yeah. sound like a Vivian Stanchel song with all the love that would imply they're playing with this and I think Idol's really enjoying being in charge of making a music record and at this point as well the Pythons are friends with all the rock stars Yeah, they basically had their films funded by George Harrison and by The Who and Led Zeppelin and lots of rock stars and people from the music world really like them and, and Idol's enjoying hanging out with Harry Nilsson and Keith Moon and everyone and this is a chance for them to give a record back to his mates that they can probably play after a, in a backstage after a show yep. that's got lots of songs on it. Yeah. And you can hear them enjoying being able to do sort of funk pastiches and well, messing the, about. The alarmingly funny songs on this record <laughs> are the ones with Terry Jones being terribly annoying. <laughs> you can it's hear very funny. Someone, some, someone said that obviously Eric Idle's the, the, the naturally musically adept one, but obviously Terry Jones really enjoys doing music and probably shouldn't be allowed There's to. A, in that discussion on the, as, as the extras in the modern version of this, I, mm. I was mentioning there's a there's a whole thing about the songs of course did you enjoy doing them and Terry Jones says well uh, you know um, half of us can sing it's it, but it's our bottom half <laughs> <laughs> Graham Chapman's legs for instance and like, you know and it's proper it's joke whole, and proper it is a proper joke and it, and, it, and, and they basically say not apart from Eric hopeless I mean yeah. hopeless but you know they kind of pull it off in that yeah. sort of back you know the, the medical love songs we're talking about yeah. it's got these great sort of harmonic bits go this sort of slightly off mic there's a demo version on there as well mm. of oh, that with mm. guitar and stuff and you can hear them get trying to catch up with each other they've left oh. it all in um, and they, they sort of try oh, to oh I've got to listen it's, to this it's, really, well, it's, it's a sort of a throwback to I think sort of, they know that when they were at college as part of like a, a Footlights or an Oxbridge review thing you'd be required to do songs yeah. whether you can sing or not and so obviously when Eric Idle said let's do lots of songs and they've got experience of having been asked to do this even though they probably can't yeah. but I love Terry Jones's response to it which is to do he's got three or four songs with the same joke on this one which is that you want them to stop as soon as possible I'm worried I'm so worried I'm so worried about you know um, whether we should just stop and then the song just absolutely stop I mean the music everything just stops dead and then there's a gap and he just goes, I'm so worried about whether I should have stopped then. <laughs> but that's, and also, you know, we, we haven't got to traffic lights yet, but, but, but it's, it's full of those jokes whereby you, it's, it's, again, it's the form of when is this annoying and have we gone too far? Oh no, it's funny again. I think that was my first exposure to that sort of joke. I love that joke. Too yeah. long is yeah. always funny. It's, it is. It's the same thing as uh... in 1979, no one died. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a there's a thing in this. Someone I never work out who said this. I keep crediting it to David Quantic, but he says he didn't say it. But someone said about Vic and Bob that the joy of Vic and Bob 
is that they, they keep taking songs that two brothers would sing in the back of a car on a long car journey to annoy their parents and then arranging them with a full orchestra and doing them with, da- <laughs> with dancers. And there's something very funny about taking a song that should have just been an annoying little hum yeah. you do on a long car journey age about six and then going tell you what we'll get in a funk band and <laughs> a, a string quartet and we'll arrange that joke I don't think is ever not funny the, the, the annoying Terry Jones songs remind me of I don't know shoot, songs on shooting stars that George Dawes does about baked potatoes <laughs> it's, they don't deserve well, the effort that, they've been given it's also that excellent when they do it and then it's shit because that's the point and then he just goes hmm perhaps it'd be better with a full orchestra <laughs> And then there is one. And it isn't. It's, it's the just, same. It's just shits with a band now. <laughs> listening to this on the way, because I know this record fairly well from being a kid, uh, and listening to it a lot, uh, I listened to it on the train coming in, and the one bit that actually destroyed me, so I was laughing embarrassingly on the train, was Traffic Lights. Yeah. yeah. Traffic Lights, I think, is still as funny and as annoying <laughs> as I remember it. it. It's, also, it's... I looked at it, and it's, it's 1 minute 58 long. <laughs> And it's the longest one minute and 58 that's ever been recorded. <laughs> because, the, the, again, the joy of it, the, the absolute unadulterated joy of it is that you know, you know where it's going. But, but it does, but you're just waiting. Just within waiting four seconds, it. you know it's not going to get any better yeah, than this. Yeah. And then not only are they they're not content with it just going where you think it's going to go and belligerently doing that, <laughs> they also then start messing with the form of the song itself by yeah. adding extra, you know, the, the scan goes out of the window. And, yeah. Yeah. and you can even hear them in the background, someone Getting it wrong and trying to come at the right up with it. Yeah, exactly. It's, oh, it's so good on it's, so many levels. It's a very single-minded thing. And that, that bit, I think, is, is almost a Dadaist. I mean, they talk about sort of Python being surreal. But the thing that's exciting about Python is they're rigorous. They're not... All the Americans who got into the Python, sort of the Saturday Night Live guys and things, Lorne Michaels was really into them at the time. And the, uh, they all went, hey, you guys must have been up all night. You must have been smoking something. And the point with the Pythons is they're nine to five workers. Yeah. They're diligent. But occasionally there are little flashes of proper, genuine Dadaist experimental stuff, which is why they got on with the Bonzo so well. And I I think I Like Traffic Lights is a, p- a piece of Dadaist art. I mean, it, it is. I, yes, it's exactly. Because you know it can only go... In, there are only three ways to go. There are only three verses possible. <laughs> and, and of course we're going to leave the, that one till last. But by the time you get there, with you know... I mean, for those that haven't heard it, I mean, this is... I, I almost don't want to spoil it. But, you know, it, I Like Traffic Lights, uh, no matter where they've been. Right, OK, OK, so we go... Uh-huh. Yeah. I like traffic lights. I like traffic lights. I like traffic lights. That is what I said. And then your mind is desperately going, when the first time you hear it, you go, what rhymes? What rhymes with that? What, what? rhymes with the next one? <laughs> and then... Oh, that does. <laughs> yeah, yes. Doesn't it, though? Yeah. And it ends in the way it could only possibly end, which is... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they, just, they get bored of it themselves. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> just, you almost, I almost want lots of other songs to end like that, like, you know, Girls Allowed hits. You know, where there's just the whole band have gone, uh, wake up the neighbourhood or whatever it was. Oh, God. <laughs> At the end. Well, actually, it's also the perfect song for a contractual obligation album. If you yeah, said on the front yeah. that none of us really wanted to do this, <laughs> the, to, to take the joke to its conclusion, you should climax your song and it is it does the album peaks with traffic lights it builds towards it and you go that's the perfect joke to do on a contractual obligation album it's just scraps if you like Monty Python here's some more um, but I think maybe as a, as a kid I because you're consuming it all at once I didn't get that feeling of it being seven or eight years since they'd done anything 
sketching no. for records. You consume it all at once in one go, and you went, this is part of all the Python I consumed at once, included this record. So it's very hard to think of Python without traffic lights. And yeah. I it, like Chinese. Yeah, 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 you're right. Finland. Finland, of course, yeah. And it, the traffic lights one just, it's the one, is the go-to quote now of just my friends who all grew up with it. It's the one thing we all, we're all of us, at some point, you know, just in the pub, where someone will go, although my name's not Bam. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like... It's, it's lovely. Also, it's, it's just lovely so to, nice. To hear... Again, they're allowed to do... The, the, the joy of Python is they're allowed to do what they want. That's what's the, the rebellious thing, the, the thing that links them with the Beatles, as which Harrison was obsessed by the Pythons being the spiritual heirs of the Beatles. What you're enjoying in Python is the sound of people who are not doing it for anyone else. That's the punky, that's the, the skiffly thing about them, is that they've got the means to make anything they want, and no one's telling them this won't work. Or if yeah. they are telling them this won't work, they're doing it anyway. Yeah, because they're told they can't, they did. It yeah. is, is the sort of underlying... That's the naughty um, schoolboy thing yeah, about it. And also, because I think when they got, they got a lot of fuss around uh, when they were doing the Flying Circus about people, censorship from the BBC and people seeing things in them that they weren't doing. There's a, a sketch where there was a note from the BBC saying, I can't believe you're broadcasting a thing where a man with an enormous severed penis enters a room. <laughs> and you look at the sketch and there isn't a man with an enormous severed penis. People were seeing things in it that weren't in there. And I get the feeling that their brains went, if you think we're naughty, we'll be as naughty as you think we are. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's almost like the, the gauntlet's thrown down. And listening to this as a kid with Derek and Clive and that stuff, there's a sense of going, oh, as a grown-up, I can do what I like. Yeah. And maybe that that's the thing that, in terms of influence of this, this record, is that it does feel a bit like, hey, one day, if you get into a recording studio and you've done a couple of things people like, you'll be allowed to do something as stupid as this. Well, you say that, but then Ofcom get involved. <laughs> and, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And they then, lied to you. They, yeah, yeah. The Pythons are responsible for my failure, basically. <laughs> uh, we can it all the time. <laughs> and they owe me. Um, the, the martyrdom of St Victor, we should very briefly oh, talk about. Palin at the top of his game. Absolutely. Palin is so good on this record. But the, the rhythms of a vicar, yeah. you know, yes. and, and we'd seen Rowan Atkinson do it, but there's something about this one and because I was a Sunday school girl at the time I was familiar with all that world the fact that all this stuff was happening to Victor <laughs> it was excellent it, it almost pays off before the, the, the funniest bit comes slightly before what they were yeah, the punchline punch yeah. yeah exactly and it, and and and, it was, and I remember my dad hearing it for the first time laughing his head off at, you know the Lord is a rotten bastard again it's it's a perfect bucket that they've listened to how biblical writing the rhythms of it and the way that mm. the words turn in on themselves and then Palin's listened to how that's delivered by all the boring chaplains he had at school when he was a kid and they've got that completely right and then they've taken all the content out and basically put pornography in instead <laughs> which is the most Basics. That's the scribbling on a Bible. That's drawing. Sort of what the Catholics do, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they make it dirty, but everything about it is correct. Yeah, they, yeah. They're not. For that's as not... much as to please him. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That, yeah, you know. the yeah he's there, roughly there. Yeah. <laughs> and they, it's because it's <laughs> right that they get away with it just being dirty and filthy. And you go, that's I think the, the trick with Python, and it's a really good trick to learn that I think the, the South Park boys learned, is that if you do it really well and you're really clever and you're evidently clever and you've been paying attention and you've got all your homework right, you can be as dirty as you like. Yeah. And Parker and Stone have said that Python were a huge influence on the Book of Mormon because they liked the songs. And they really like this album. They like Lumberjack Song and things. And the idea of saying, you've done all the work. You've you've done your revision. You've done your homework. You've been listening. So we'll get everything right. And because we've got everything right, and we've done our job as comedy writers really well, we can now be quite childish. But you can't say we're childish because this is quite clever. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, and and it, I think that was the joy. And I think you you hit it earlier when you said that it was it was listening to it through a child's ears. It sounded adult, yeah, uh, and listen to it now, and it sounds a little bit child. But that's kind of the magic of it. That, <laughs> that's not an accident either. I no, think that as no. you said that they've worked for that, and that's yeah, fair enough. They've earned it. You know? Yeah, how lovely! What a brilliant thing to listen to again. Thank you so much for bringing us you're more Monty than Python's contractual obligation record. You're and very thanks welcome. for being on the show, John Holmes. Mm-hmm.